If you'd please remain uh, sta- standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to briefly read the two prior verses before we get into the text. So if you've got your copies of God's Word open, you can turn to 12.1. We're going to read 12.1 and 2 before we hit 3 and 5, which will be our text for today. So let's read it. Chapter 12 it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that is that God has assigned. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this is a beautiful text. It's a proposition that because of who Paul is in God's grace... He, want, he desires and, and earnestly asks for the people to engage in the life and worship of the church to be a part of them. And I told you we're going to talk about self-knowledge today, who we are. It's not where you think you would start if you're talking about self, but it's who you are. We're going to look at that. So let me begin with a brief personal story. Uh, many years ago now, my daughter, Grace, sitting in the front row right here, she, ha- she got really ill and was in the hospital for many weeks. And, and the first uh, night we were, uh, we, 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 when, this, when this, this tragedy, ha- almost tra- near tragedy almost happened, she almost died there in a Montgomery, Alabama hospital. And so she was helicoptered to, to uh, Birmingham Children's Hospital. hospital. And... Uh, uh, we, at that night, we prayed for God's mercy to heal her, uh, to, to protect her. And it was a perilous, uh, open, you know, it was a, things weren't looking good. And so we asked the Lord to help. And we believe he answered that prayer, which is great. But in the three weeks following that, you know, just, I was embarrassingly blessed. Uh, and my wife was embarrassing, embarrassingly blessed by people we didn't know. I mean, like, so... People we did know were very grateful to us, but uh, and, and blessing to us. But we, uh, the very first night there, uh, my my uh, boss, who's a church, he's a church elder in Jackson, Mississippi, drove over to Birmingham to be with us and pray for us for a moment, uh, and just to just to set, just to, to to see us. Uh, people we didn't know from churches in town that, that were affiliated with our church uh, brought us meals every time you know, we had a meal. You know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and. And people prayed for us uh, all over the country and, and, and prayed for grace. And, and it's just like, I'm just embarrassingly blessed I, 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 for, for, uh, to see that this is not just uh, me and my uh, religion or delusion, so to speak. I'm not delusional here. Uh, there are uh, thousands, millions uh, throughout church history and, and today who know Christ and find a... Real oneness, 
that they are part of me and I am part of them. And they give generously to support and help and care for me. It's impre incredibly impressive that uh, these people who I've never met uh, care for me, love me, and desire for God to help us and want to help, do whatever they can to help us. Embarrassingly, I mean, just over the top, as a minister in the church, I've been in the church all the time for the last 20 or so years, to see not just that in an extreme situation with Grace's health and, the, and this hospital situation, but all the time uh, people are kind and gracious to me. I don't deserve it. I, they're, they're far beyond what I deserve uh, to give to me. And, and I, I pray that I'm somewhat uh, helpful back to some of them and you. But uh, as, we, as we consider who we are, uh, that's what we are made for. Uh, we're made as people who are in Christ, baptized into Christ, believing into Christ, to be members one of another. So Paul here says in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, meaning he's an apostle, he's spoken like this in, in Romans 1.5 and 1.1, and he, he's a servant of Christ first and foremost, he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus. It's by God's grace he is what he is. And he says now, by the grace given to him as, your, as our apostle and brother, he says to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought. And you see that first word there in your English translation is for. So it's, of course, pointing backwards to what we said last week and, and throughout the whole book. So this is connected to those indicatives of the gospel. God's grace to us, undeserving sinners, under, justly under the wrath of God, but he sent his son to be an atonement for our sins, to propitiate God's wrath, and that through faith in his blood, we would be declared righteous, accounted righteous, and that we would be his, and he would be ours, and our, we would be reconciled to him. That's the, that's the gospel. Through faith alone, nothing, God requires nothing of us, and he provides everything. That's grace. All the blessings of the covenant that he's made are shed upon us, poured on us. That's the grace of the Lord. And so by his grace, we have this ability to know ourselves in a profound way. We have the ability to know that we are really worse sinners than we ever knew and that we're more loved than we could ever imagine like by the Lord himself. That is incredible. Only in the gospel can you know that. Only in these pages of this book can you know that. That you're worse than, your mom won't tell you how bad you are. You know, like your, your roommates won't tell you how bad you really are. But the Lord will, will give you an accurate assessment of how, fall, how, how short you fall the standard. Uh, you're not righteous. But Christ is righteous. And, and a righteous one without sin loved you while you were yet a sinner in Romans 5, 8. And gave himself up for you. To cleanse you. To forgive you. To make you righteous. That's the gospel. He loves you. And, and that's, that's, there's, a, there's a profound blessing in knowing that and knowing other people who are, who are loved like you, and your love for the Savior drives you to love those people. May that never be that we think of this as an individualistic religion. The, the goal of our life is not a personal relationship with Jesus. 
<laughs> hey, I'm not saying you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but that's not what he made you for. He made you to be a body, right? That's who you are. You are a body of Christ. He is the head and you're the body. So look at that. Now you've got, why is this such a big deal? He starts off with this grand idea of becoming a living sacrifice, meaning you don't have to die. Someone's already died for you. You're a living sacrifice now. You, you wholeheartedly consecrate yourself. You're holy. You're devoting yourself to God now. And so you're going to be having a new mind. This, this old age is going away and the new age has come in Christ. And it's, a, it's an age of righteousness and the kingdom of God has come. And, and he's dwelling in your hearts and he's, he's taking up shop in you. And, and you're not what you once were. And, and there's all these implications that we need to unpack. And so he says the first thing you've got to know about having this new mind of Christ in you and being transformed is that you relate to all these other forgiven sinners as well. That's the most important thing. And you shouldn't think too highly of yourself. Don't be too overconfident in yourself. Uh, our biggest problem, and there's nothing wrong with valuing things, but our biggest problem is overvaluing things and undervaluing other things. We want to value righteously and with wisdom and knowledge according to what we've been made to do, you know, and made to value. Too often we value the things that are just wrong. There's a show I just became aware of, but it's like 20 years old now, uh, called Married at First Sight. And it's like a, they, they, you, you, you get to see the person the first time if you've been, it's an arranged marriage situation, and they've got to decide, do I want to get married or not? And it's a great idea, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's that, don't, just delete that. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's an opinion. Not, that's, not, that's not the word of God. So, but, but just think about that. Uh, you've never seen this person. You're committed to them. And this person shows up. And you're like, whoa. Not what I was expecting. In fact, don't like it. Now, what, if you, what if you signed up to marry someone and it was just a giant eyeball? Like, well, how, how, how repulsive would that be? I mean, we love eyes. In context, like they have to be in a head. Like a giant eyeball would be horrible. Like, you know, think of that. Like, like, a, like uh, Mike, uh, the, the guy on Monsters, Inc., right? Giant eyeball. Uh, that would be a, a little bit unsettling. You know, in the same way, I mean, if you're just one part of the body and you're isolated, that's repulsive. God, God made you to be in union with other people, uh, sharing in the work together, blessing one another, being a part of a body and not just a disembodied eyeball or, or whatever you are. So as you think about that, you, 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 get it. you got this, you are an American, probably, maybe, most of you, maybe Americans uh, in the 21st century, and you have a, a rugged individualism about you. Uh, and so uh, these guys in, in Paul's day also had a proclivity to uh, approach God individualistically. And that's why he's probably saying this uh, in the third verse of the, this section. Uh, there's also a, a Roman obsession that they lived in uh, of the, the cultural emphasis on status in society. Now, we don't do that, do we? We don't have this idea of like people's worth is based on how important they are or the house they have, car or money or, you know, all these things, like the outward things, like appearance. We don't do that. I mean, like, that's obviously what we do. We have, a, we have an overvaluation of the externals and, and, what, and people's, how many degrees they have and their success and all, all that. Uh, and also there's, a, there's, a, so there's this negative baggage that you're going to take into this, uh, into this relationship with God of like, I'm in this together. Uh, I'm in, I mean, I'm in this, me and God and 
just us. Jesus, take the wheel, and, and we're on our own, right? And then uh, there's a, a tendency to think highly of yourself when you have these blessings and, and that they're not God's blessings to you and that you deserve them and, and other people don't. And so there's that. But there's also this uh, baggage that you need to positively bring in. So you need to put off that baggage and then bring in new baggage and carry this baggage. Take that baggage and put it away in the closet and take this around. And it's called covenant theology. It's called that, that God made a covenant. He made a covenant with Adam. And that Adam broke the covenant and we we're all dead because of that. But God made a covenant of grace, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And Jesus fulfilled that covenant of grace. He did everything that Adam didn't do for you. And you receive all of his blessings by grace. You and every single other person who's a believer. And you're built into one covenant body, a church, a called out people. That's who you are. You need covenant theology, a corporateness to you. One head and a body. One body. That's you. One head, one body. That's me. We're one. We either have a head called Adam or we have a head called Christ. That's what Romans 5 teaches us. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Go look it up later. Please look it up. Read it. Now, Paul received this grace and the righteousness of Christ has come to him. And I tell you, Every single believer needs a church. I go around town all the time asking people questions. Like, and they'll say, I'm a Christian. I'll be like, where do you go to church? And they'll tell me where they go to church. And then I'll, ask, I'll, I'll see somebody else who goes to that same church. I'll be like, hey, do you know so-and-so, Bob? You know, like, no. I was like, red alert, red alert, red alert. Either this person's lying or this church is not good. Like, so like that, there's, there's something going on. Because like, uh, consider, you know, if, if I'm looking at you and I'm saying like, I see a right arm and a left arm. You're like, no, 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 I don't know about the left arm. I don't have a left arm. I just have a right arm. Like, it's like, like you're one in body. And like, like to say that you don't know someone who's in your church is, is like not knowing your body parts. I mean, like they're just in denial that they're there. It's absurd, right? You have to know the people that are in the church because those are the people you're called to love. You're in covenant with these people. Now, I have a, you know, I'm called to certain people to love. I'm, I have a particular wife. I have particular children. You know, and, and you may or may not be called to marry someone at this time or, or future, or, you know, but, uh, you, you know, you may you know, lose a spouse. You may lose a child. You, like, God's given you a calling at these times for these places and a, and a particular family to love those people. Those are the people in your family. He's given you particular neighbors, Ray and Ron and Sam and all the people that you live around, particular people to love as a neighbor. He's given you a particular church to love. These are the things. He's, he's made you in covenant with these people. He's made you a citizen of Oklahoma, probably a citizen of the United States of America with certain duties that you owe these. Uh, you have a ministry and a service to many people, but your profound, most important starting place is the church. That's where he starts because you're in Christ. This is the most fundamental thing about who you are. By grace you're saved and with all these other gracious uh, people that have received grace, you are one. So if you understand what Paul says about this church, it's going to give you life. It's going to give you purpose because this is your body. You have a people to love. You have a reason to live. The day you're born, the reason you figure out why. 
the day you're born again and the reason you feel, figure out why. You're not born again to get fire insurance, uh, to get out of hell. You're born again to be the body of Christ, to image him in knowledge and wisdom and righteousness. That's what you're made for. And what, what's that require? It requires other people. As the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, can't, God can't accurately portray who God is without persons, without a community, without love and charity and mercy and kindness. There has to be multiple people. You have to be a body of many members uh, in order to, to portray who God is. So, as you consider this, this should be basic Christianity. Some of us are called to the church. Uh, some of us have been called to this church. Some of us are, are maybe not believers yet in this church. Uh, there are many people called to churches in times where they're not really believers. For instance, Judas Iscariot. I was really there because he was greedy. He was stealing the money. And then he, at the right time, he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You may have people called in your church. Uh, they're not believers. But until they reveal themselves as non-believers, you know what? You're called to love those people. This is your people. You have to love the people that you are called to love and to pray for those people. It, church would be easy if it wasn't for the people, right? I mean, because we uh, sin against one another and, and we'll sometimes hurt each other and, and we have to forgive one another and, and repent and, and seek to bring peace. We have to do that. We do. That should be basic Christianity because we're, you know, it's like if your back hurts and you try to go to sleep, it's not going to go well. You have to take care of the back. You know, if you try to play basketball and you have a broken ankle, it's not going to go, your whole body's going to suffer. You're not going to do well. You have to take care of the hurting parts. You have to rejoice with the rejoicing parts. Uh, this is because you are one body, right? Now, Christianity, I think, changed a little bit in the Industrial Revolution. Uh, after the Industrial Revolution, people became decentralized. And so people, church methods started, sort of became decentralized too. And so what people started to do was church leaders would have these big meetings. They'd hold out big promises and, and they'd, they'd ask for, for big decisions, actions, and, and, and make promises to God. And they would say, big promise to you. You can be, you can go to heaven if you just do what I ask you to do. If you check the box, if you raise the hand, if you pray the prayer, if you come down front, you'll be saved. And the body of Christ was not featured in that methodology. Right? So, so what saved you in that schema, in that, in that idea, was, was what you did. You made the decision. You chose. You made the response. And this sets you up to really have a bad life. Because if you believe that Jesus made it possible for you to be saved and that you closed the deal then who's the winner there? You're the winner. You're the righteous person. You're the wise person. You're the strong person. Everybody else is a fool because they won't accept it. What, the, what Romans teaches, though, is that you're worse than you ever know. You can't believe this. You would never believe this. You would always reject this because you don't love God. You hate God. You suppress God. That's who you're born to be because you're an Adam. But now you're not that. You're in Christ. You're born again. And you're not the same as you were. But it's... it's pretty easy to forget what you once were. And especially if people are telling you things that are not as offensive as the truth because they don't want to run you off. Well, that's what was going on. You know, we have a, we have a generation of people in the Bible Belt and, and churches uh, who don't know the Bible and they think they do and they're proud and they overestimate themselves. And, 
and they think they're doing just fine without the church. But our, but our biblical self-understanding would tell them that they're not doing fine and dandy without Jesus and his church. Right? Uh, people have been discipled to be self-reliant in our world. We have ministries who give you a cookie-cutter methodology to disciple you. You go through these things, and, it'll, and you'll be a disciple, and then you can t- take other people through that curriculum, and that's how it works. And it's all outside of the church. And we even have a popular book that, I mean, it's so popular, there are copies of this book at every thrift store and Goodwill. It's called Case for Christ. And I'm sure there's a lot of good information in that book, but you know what it is? It's creatures putting God on trial and weighing the evidence out and saying, is he good enough? Do you want to take him or not? And I know that's like, that, that's like that, maybe, you're, maybe you're picking on people now, but I'm like, that is unrighteous behavior. Because God made us, we are the clay pots. Who are we to look at the creator and say, and say anything back to him? We receive what he says, and we got to either learn or love it, or it's the best thing going today. I mean, that's, that's all it is. It is the way it is, because that's who God is, and he determines what is reality for us and what's not. We don't get to make a choice about who he is, and whether we like it or not. Thankfully, he's better than we ever know. He's better than we would suppress him and want him to be. See, God made man in his image back in, in Genesis 1.26. The first page of the Bible. Two pages later, Genesis 3. Man made God in his image. Eve and Adam. Eve saw the fruit that was forbidden. She, she looked at it. She saw that it was attractive and desirable, and so she took it and ate it, and she gave it to her husband who was standing there with her. And from that moment on, we've been making God into our image and saying, well, I'll take this about God, and I won't take this about God. I like this kind of God, not this kind of God. And we're just making our own you know, buffet of who God is and taking what we want. And then we want to judge what's right and good about God and not re- see it as he is. But he's the potter. We're the clay. That's what Romans 9 teaches us. In the days of Noah, the whole world was going against God's design. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of their thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Friends, we do not need to get our patterns from the, from the ways of the world, because as God saw it in those times, their hearts and thoughts were only evil continually. That's before the flood. Jesus once was asked about... Um, the end of the days in Matthew 24, 36, and 37. When is that going to come? And he said it's going to be, uh, you know, thousands of years. Uh, this is thousands of years after Genesis 6. He says, he responded to the question by saying, Concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As were the days of Noah, where every thought of their hearts was intention, it was evil intent all the time. That's the days before the Son of Man comes. What God did was flood the earth because it was so unrighteous. But he saved one family. Noah found favor in God's sight. He saved his family through an ark. The sign of that covenant was a rainbow, a bow in the clouds. God had poured down his wrath on the whole earth. But one day he would pour out his wrath on his son for the sake of the world. And he promised to give an unending runway for this covenant of grace to go forward with common grace. 
the rain falling on the wicked and the righteous, the beauties of, of creation being enjoyed so that all these people could be born, live, believe, and be part of this body. The creation is built for a body of Christ that will, will dwell forevermore with God. God made it for his glory to take sinners like us and bring them back into his household. And that's what he is. He says to consider yourself, consider who you are. Use the measure of faith, he says in verse 3. Use the measure of faith. You have a measure of faith given to you. You have a standard. Don't measure yourself according to the patterns of this world. They'll tell you you're great. They'll say, uh, you'll, you'll post the pictures on the Insta and they will give you all the likes and the yay, you know, and like, all, the, all the good for affirmation. They'll tell you what you want to hear. But the Lord will tell you the truth. And, and I, you've got to see that. You know, like you are not an accurate judge of who you are, left alone. Right? Jesus hilariously shows us just how bad we are in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, look, don't judge your neighbor, right? It's like the guy with the plank in his eye judging the speck in the other guy's eye. Like, you just can't see right. You don't see it as it is. You don't see how badly you fall short and you want to judge everybody else but not yourself. He says, use the measure of faith. You're more of a sinner than you ever know, but you're more loved and redeemed in Christ than you could ever imagine. You cannot swim to the bottom of that. It's deeper than the ocean. The breadth, the width, the depth of Christ's love, as Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says, is unfathomable. You cannot understand and fully comprehend the full love of God for his people. Now, if you were to pull up Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it'll say that sentence I just said, which is, who can fathom the breadth, the depth, the width of the love of God, right? But it says, we all the saints behold it together. It's like, we just miss that part because we're hyper-individualistic, but we behold the, the great, wonderful love of God as a corporate body. We, all the saints, behold this. There is no beholding it unless you're in Christ and in his body. So what's the gospel? What's the special grace that we have that, that is the measure of faith? Well, it's that, as Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone who does not do these words. As Leviticus 18.5 says, it says, the man who perpetually keeps my statutes and my rules and does them will live by them. That's the plan. Keep the law. People come to Jesus and say, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? You got to keep the law, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, all your neighbors, yourself. Yep, do that. That's the way of Adam. That's the covenant of works. But the covenant of grace is that Christ kept the law for you. And that he paid the penalty for your sins because God loves you. As Romans 5.12 says, As sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. You sinned in Adam. You are cursed. You are corrupted. Your self-understanding is faulty. And you must use the measure of faith given by the word of God to tell you who you are. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. 
For if many died through one man's trespass, which happened, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. This is Romans 6, 16. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardoneth all of your sins, accepts you as righteous in his sight, only for the sake of Jesus' blood and his righteousness imputed to you and received through faith alone. Your only requirement is to believe it. It's a message, the good news gospel message that any of us can have if we believe in him as our Lord. Common grace, unlike special grace, is the things that everyone shares in. But saving grace, this special grace, is what you and I know because we've seen Christ. We call him our Lord. We call him our Savior. We call him our King, our prophet, our priest. Special grace is special. You know it. It changes who you are. It changes all your relationships. It changes your self-understanding. We have to use the measure of faith to understand who we are. Now, if you consider this, it doesn't make you all dress alike, all get the same tattoos, not get the tattoos. It makes you, you're, you're diverse. You have different gifts. You have different you know, abilities, weaknesses, strengths, all those things. We have diversity. F.F. Bruce writes this, diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature, it is so in grace too. And nowhere more so than in the Christian community. How are many men and women with the most diverse kinds of parentage, environment, temperament, and capacity? Not only so, but since they became Christians, they've been endowed by God with a variety, a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Yet because, and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole. Now, you, by virtue of being connected to Christ, will serve somebody this week. It will happen. If you're in Christ, you've got the Spirit. You're going to serve somebody. But I would encourage you to be proactive and not be reactionary. Determine what you have to give and then go give it. To pick, put your set, set your sights on somebody this week and do it. Somebody texted me yesterday and said, I want to take you to eat. And I want to take your family to eat. And I'm like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Somebody thought about me and was thankful for who I am in Christ and said, I want to bless you. Like, I don't deserve that. Like, that's not something I deserve. Like, be somebody's, like, picture of Christ this week. That was a picture of Christ for me. Like, that's, that's who we are. We, we behold the breadth, the depth, and the width of the love of God, we all the saints together. You can't do that alone. You have to be a body. You have to be involved in the body. And we'll look next week at some of the gifts that we have to share and to use. We're going to study that a little bit more, but, but set out to think about what do I have to offer? What are my resources? And how can I use those to bless somebody this week? You have a diversity of gifts and resources. Not everyone has the same. Use what you have. Uh, the, the, the famous story in the Gospels is of the widow who had no money to give. She gave all she had as her offering. That's beauty. Give everything you have. You know what? You're not going to be poor. You're rich in Christ. 
you will be cared for because you're in the body of Christ. We give as there's need. We give proactively. We give. I'm amazed. I stand amazed every single day that people love me because of Christ and what he's done in them. I didn't deserve it 11 years ago with grace and, and her hospitalization. I didn't deserve it Saturday morning. I'm never going to deserve it, but in Christ, I'm part of his body. And I'm, I'm washed. I'm holy. I'm sanctified. I'm justified. I'm redeemed. And so are you. And we're one body forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.